Welcome back to Capital Cast. I'm Jennifer Fuller. Cash bail has been eliminated in Illinois, and the state's courts are now instructed to impose the least restrictive conditions of release necessary to ensure a defendant appears in court. In some cases, that may mean the court system simply sends text messages to the defendant as a reminder. In others, it may mean a mandate for drug and alcohol testing or additional treatment. But as the new system takes shape, bail reform advocates will be watching to see how frequently judges employ a different option, that of electronic monitoring for defendants ordered to home confinement or subject to restraining orders. Prior to the implementation of bail reform, commonly referred to as the Pretrial Fairness Act or more broadly as the Safety Act, Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki spoke with retired Judge Kara Smith, who is now the director of the Office of Statewide Pretrial Services. That new state agency provides pretrial services in more than 70 counties, including electronic monitoring. OSPS received a $23 million appropriation from the state in the current fiscal year. That funding allows Illinois to finally fulfill a 1987 law that requires all circuit courts to offer pretrial services. The initial law didn't provide the resources for them to do so. Since its 2022 launch, OSPS has grown from 10 employees to more than 170. In our last Capital Cast episode, Smith covered the agency's history and gave a rundown of the office's other functions. This time, we pick up the conversation with Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki as they discuss electronic monitoring more specifically. So electronic monitoring has been in existence in the community correction sphere in one form or another since like the mid-80s. And it started with um, radio frequency with the technology. So a supervising agency like us um, would know whether someone was home or not, but we really wouldn't really know where they were if they weren't home. Now, um, it, it, it is, we use active GPS monitoring. And so when a defendant is on the monitor, we literally receive a satellite point, GPS point for that defendant every 60 seconds. Um, so we, uh, as of, as of last night, we now have 37 people we're monitoring, we're in the process of assuming the approximately 200 currently electronically monitored people across our 70 counties, and we'll be offering this as a um, pretrial condition to all counties that we serve by the September 18th effective date of the uh, Safety Act. Smith notes the costs of all pretrial services from the OSPS, from electronic monitoring to drug testing and others, are now paid for by the state. That's a departure from the previous system, when counties were often requiring defendants to pay for their monitoring equipment. But the office's announcement of its electronic monitoring unit proved immediately controversial. The Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice and Advocacy Coalition issued a statement saying that there was, quote, no reason for the state to expand its use of electronic monitoring in response to ending money bond. The statement read, quote, requiring anyone to wear an ankle shackle and be monitored in lieu of having to pay bond is an injustice that is in direct conflict with the spirit of the law and its intended impact, end quote. But Smith notes there are specific parameters for electronic monitoring laid out in the new state law. The PFA did impose some restrictions or some requirements on when electronic monitoring can be used. 
courts must find that it's the least restrictive condition necessary. Um, the the if if it's ordered, the court's required to review the necessity of that condition every 60 days. Um, and it's the there's a requirement that defendants that are electronically monitored on home confinement get um, movement spread out over two days um, to take care of sort of affairs of daily living. So you know you need to go to the bookstore, the library, the post office, that sort of thing. And all of that makes ma managing this program tricky on our side because we're doing it. I always, uh, when talking with Chris and other colleagues, it's like running an electronic monitoring program in one county is um, you can get all your stakeholders in the room and you can decide what 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 the rules are going to be and how you're going to work together to do that. Um, we're doing that times 71. So it, it's a, it's a, it, it, I feel an unprecedented undertaking to to provide this program across the 38,000 square miles that we serve. Proponents and critics of bail reform have aired concerns about electronic monitoring. Reform opponents take issue with the Safety Act's requirement that individuals are given two days of freedom each week. Some public defenders, in rural counties especially, have also aired concerns about electronic monitoring. In a separate interview with Capital News Illinois, Gallatin and Hamilton County Public Defender Nathan Rowland said internet connectivities in areas like southern Illinois could make monitoring difficult. So that, that's something that uh, I think the defense bar is going to be on the guard against just because we have electronic monitoring. Um, is it actually necessary for all defendants as a default setting or not? So that that's something that Previously, it just wasn't technically or financially feasible. Office of Pre-Trial Services has some ability to, to deal with the technical and, and financial end. Okay, great. But then you, you have the more substantive issue of uh, what, what does elect monitoring actually benefit? Uh, and and there's, there's some data, and I'm not an expert on it, um, that, that indicates that, you know, it doesn't do that great a situation and more likely sets up violations, particularly in our neck of the woods where, well, you've lost signal. Well, what does that mean? They've tampered with the device or they've, they've just lost signal because of where they're at. Coverage of Roland's concerns can be found in recent articles by Hannah Meisel. You can find them at CapitalNewsIllinois.com. Another concern cited by the Network for Pretrial Justice was about the number of alerts the devices send to the state based on an individual's movement. They argue the volume of alerts shows the devices are not sophisticated enough. Smith acknowledges there are some challenges and details to work out, but she also points to the role of the monitoring team that sorts through those alerts, nearly all of which do not rise to a level requiring law enforcement intervention. Yeah, we are ready. We have established a 24-7 operations center. Our electronic monitoring staff work there, um, and they are literally before monitors, and they're watching bats on the screen. They're receiving new court orders. They're receiving exclusion zone information. So let me step back for a minute. So when someone's on electronic monitoring, they can be literally on, they can have an inclusion zone, so commonly... An exclusion zone is someone that's been ordered basically to house arrest. So you have to stay home and accept if you are granted permission to leave. 
and we will in our software set up an exclusion zone around the defendant's home and we will know whether he or she leaves. And if they're granted time to leave, we'll know when they return. In domestic cases and other kind of cases where there's an identifiable victim, we'll have ordered exclusion zones. So you can go anywhere you want, but you can't go here or there. So generally it's the defendant's home or place of work or children's school, things of that nature. And we'll draw in our software an exclusion zone around that address, and then we'll create a buffer zone as well in the software. So we'll know if someone is getting near a place they shouldn't be. So those are in, simply, those are the two kinds of inclusion and exclusion zone cases that we are receiving now. And the, the great thing about electronic monitoring with active GPS is it, it can be very helpful in protecting victims. Um, the challenge is in managing the enormous amount of data that we receive. So just with the 37 cases we have so far, and just this week alone, we've received hundreds of alerts. And we'll get an alert if a defendant's battery is getting low and we'll contact them to, to um, charge it. We'll get an alert if someone's entering or getting close to an exclusion zone and we'll work to resolve that. And in, if necessary, if we have an exclusion zone case or we have a situation where we think a defendant has, is attempting to remove their device, we can um, contact law enforcement and seek their assistance um, uh, to help us remedy or respond to a violation. You know, I'm not going to get into all of the politics or anything, but it, it sounds like you've described a what's going to be a considerably safe system. So, I mean, you are confident, so to speak, um, that law enforcement is going to be able to respond quickly in the occasion where those exclusion zones or any other um, people running afoul of the system. Welcome to my middle of the night worries, Jerry. Um, you know, it's it's you know we're we're there's certainly significant challenges with running a program like this. We I, I am certain uh, I have great a deal of confidence that in cases where we have a domestic violence situation and there's a individual that's at risk, that law enforcement is going to be a tremendous partner. Um, uh, and and we will work with state's attorneys when necessary to obtain arrest warrants in, in violation circumstances. But the challenge with receiving an enormous amount of data is in being skilled enough, and I'm confident that we are and will continue to be, in knowing what the alarms mean and what, what is a, an alarm of concern. So at either end, as I describe it, as either end of the, of the electronic monitoring spectrum, it's really easy. If the defendant is five minutes late getting home from court, I don't care. And neither, you know, that's, that's, that's not a worry of mine. If we have an exclusion zone violation, that's a, a, a high, um, that's a high, pri that's the highest priority we have. But most of electronic monitoring is all in the middle of that. And being able to navigate and understand when we have a real problem on our hands versus a more technical issue is is I think where some of our challenges will continue to lie. So what is what does the monitoring room look like? Is it one person per individual who's being monitored? Is there one person monitoring five people? Um, and these people who are doing the monitoring, 
What does their training look like? So we have um, our electronic monitoring unit is, uh, we have a, um, our headquarters is on Old Jacksonville Road and the, our dispatch center, our monitoring center is within that building. And we have staff um, who work on shifts 24 seven and they have, uh, there's a queue that is populated when there are alerts and alarms and the responding to those cues get assigned by supervisors to the staff that are on call. And um, the devices that we are using are uh, very functional and helpful. So they allow us to call the defendant through the device. It allows us to siren alert, uh, put a siren, use a siren if the individuals entering exclusion zone or getting near a victim. The alarm, uh, the device can will vibrate when a, a battery is getting low. So as you can imagine, we we have defendants without cell phones. So this is allows us to communicate with them um, during you know during the monitoring period. And as I always you know I I have a lot of electronic monitoring experience from Cook County um, that has helped I think helped us plan for the kind of issues we're gonna be facing. But in my experience, electronic monitoring issues don't occur during the workday. You know, usually we're, we're, we're having issues at, you know, Friday at midnight or on Christmas Eve, or, you know, it's those kind of, so we, 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 must, have, we must have a 24 seven operation to support, to support this condition. Smith also says there are logistical challenges in electronic monitoring. Her office has secured leases in 47 counties, in addition to the central Springfield hub for monitoring services. This interview was conducted on August 25th, less than a week after the office had enrolled its first defendant into electronic monitoring. Even the logistics of having to make sure we have equipment readily available, you know, strategically placed around the state so that like we had last night, you know, when we get an order at around six o'clock at night, we can get that person um, hooked up on the system, <clears throat> enrolled in our system, and out the out of the jail in a timely way. So there's a, a a fascinating set of logistical issues that we navigate virtually every day. Um, but getting the right, for instance, the right assortment of strap sizes. When you put someone on electronic monitoring, there's this paper sort of scale that you put around a person's ankle and they're a, they're a size J or a size I band. So how do we make sure that we have the right sort of options for bands so that we're not, someone doesn't have to stay in custody any longer because we don't have the right equipment on site. So thinking about all those sort of eventualities is interesting and challenging, but knock on wood, we're, we got through our first week on electronic monitoring and we're off to the races. CNI Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki spoke with the Office of Statewide Pretrial Services Director Kara Smith ahead of the end of Illinois' cash bail system. You can find more coverage of this and more of our podcasts at CapitalNewsIllinois.com. For Capital Cast, I'm Jennifer Fuller.